Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. I am your host, Scott Needham, and I am a uh, Amazon seller for years now. I've actually uh, crossed the 50 million uh, in sales uh, threshold, and, but guess what? I still am trying to learn more. And I got with me an expert today that can answer questions that like, honestly, at this point, I've been selling on eight years and it's like embarrassing that I don't know them yet. So, so excited to have with me, Robert Wright, who is a, uh, I mean, I'll let him define what kind of a lawyer he is, but, but, but primarily a private label lawyer that helps sellers on Amazon uh, protect and to uh, just just to know what to do. So Robert, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here, Scott. Thanks so much for the opportunity to chat with you and, and all your guests and uh, audience, for sure. So, so excited that actually he came with a lot of uh, content already organized. He uh, has been around the block and he's got like what he calls a blueprint or a framework uh, that he helps sellers uh, go through. So describe us a little bit more about this this blueprint, right? Like, I mean, this is, this is, yeah, no, this is what it is. Like, as I, it's, it's funny. I mean, I, I, when I went to law school, they don't, I practice what I call private label law, right? You go to law school, they don't, there's not a private label law class. There's a contracts class and a biz orgs class and a, a trademarks class and all these sorts of disparate classes, but there's not, you know, private label law isn't, isn't kind of a formal thing with it within the law, right? And so as I hung my virtual shingle, I launched my practice, I opened my doors really kind of just wanting to support small business owners, people that were doing e-commerce, uh, you know, maybe starting as a side hustle, wanting it to grow into something more. I never really envisioned that I would be practicing private label law, but um, quickly as the e-com space evolved, Amazon started to become what it is. And I'll never forget, I got a Facebook message from from a friend and a client saying, hey, I've been hijacked. Can you help? And I'm, I, mean, I really started freaking out. I'm like, is this guy in the back of a trunk somewhere? Like, what, what's going on? Like, is this, is this uh, you know, is he kidnapped? Do I, do I need to call the police? And that's when my eyes were really opened up to private label selling the world of Amazon. And I was so fascinated by it. I, I stepped in it. I said, you know what? If I'm going to support folks who are doing this, I have to do it myself. And so I launched, uh, you know, a brand here in the states. I've got a, a brand that I sell over in the UK. I'll expand into Australia later this year, uh, and I did so kind of selfishly because it's a really cool, interesting business model. It's something different than the law. But then, from a legal perspective, it also helps me stand in my client's shoes. And so I, I yep. understand what it feels like when you're trying to open up that Amazon account and it's being suspended or, you know, you're trying to figure out how should I, you know, what kind of brand name should I choose for this thing? You know, I'm so confused. I'm so overwhelmed. You know, is, is someone else already taken it? Uh, do I need an ink or an LLC or what should I do there? I mean, I've, yeah. I've literally walked that journey. And so the blueprint that you reference really comes from that experience. Right. And I, I very much work from the concept of business is war. There's a great Kevin O'Leary quote about. <laughs> oh you know, my goodness. I've said the same thing. I, when yeah. I tell my brother, like Amazon is war. Like whoever is, it's kind of like whoever's got the most hustle in, in some cases, like it's just so much effort. Oh, it's so much effort. And it's, it's gotten hyper competitive, especially with, you know, kind of larger brands, larger companies understanding the opportunity that Amazon is. It's, it's much different than it was five years ago, seven years ago. Uh, it's, it's, it's competitive. It's still very much an opportunity for everybody, but it's a different one. And frankly, it's one that you've got to be prepared for. And so the blueprint is literally working from the premise that business is war. Okay, well, let's get ready for it, right? So first things first, 
protecting your personal assets. So many people, you know, when they're launching a, a, an Amazon business, they're just like, oh, okay, well, I can just sign up for an individual account. I don't need to incorporate. I don't need to form an LLC. I'll do that later. Nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, if you go into this war, you know, just you, you, without, without any sort of protection, without any sort of corporate entity, you are the business and the business is you. All of your personal assets are at risk. That means your bank account, your house, your car, your whatever you have. If something goes sideways in, a biz, in your business, all of a sudden, all of those assets so, go. So what if someone did sign up them as themselves? What should they do now? Yeah, transition. It certainly go. I, I always recommend organizing as a limited liability company in the state where you sit. You'll hear a lot of talk about oh, Wyoming or Nevada or Delaware. I will tell you this, taxes are paid where the money is made. And if you're sitting in the middle of Iowa, you're running a business out of Iowa, organize in Iowa. Otherwise, you do something different, you're still going to have to form some degree of an entity in Iowa. And that means double the paperwork, double the filings, double the registered agents, double the everything. Keep it simple, stupid. If you're in Iowa, organize in Iowa. If you're in Kansas, organize in Kansas, wherever you are taxes are paid where the money is made. So if you signed up as an individual, you're out there in the thick of it, you've got a couple products launched, you got a brand built, and now you're like, okay, now I wanna do that serious legal thing, I wanna take that formality. One, organize where you are, and then two, you're gonna have to work with Amazon to get the account transitioned over and changed over. Now I will tell you right now, that's a, that's a really big issue in the space. Amazon has gotten very serious about account verification. Amazon has gotten very serious about making sure that only good, solid, legitimate, real people are selling on the platform that a lot of these black hat shell company sorts of yeah. things. You know, I, I heard even recently, this was maybe happening right before the pandemic, that um, Amazon had people on the ground in like Los Angeles Essentially, if someone started a seller account, they're like, "Hey, let's talk," and they would like meet face to face. No, it's I've had I've had clients that have received phone calls. I've had clients that have been invited to video chats. I haven't had anyone actually show up at the door just yet. But that that wouldn't surprise me. And on one hand, like that's that's super frustrating, right? Because you know most of my clients are digital nomads. They you know maybe they're in the states, maybe they're over in Europe, maybe they're in Australia. Who knows where they are? They want to travel. That's part of, you know, the ability of, of kind of launching a, a virtual business. And so being verified via a fixed utility bill, you know, when they're just kind of bouncing around all over the place, that, that it's a challenge for them. You know, meeting yeah. someone via, you know, web conference that, you know, you do, who, who is this? Why am I doing this? You not, might not want to do it. So it feels like a little bit invasive. Well, but I'm, at the same time, I want that platform to be a legitimate solid platform. I yeah. want I want as level of a playing field as possible. And so Amazon is seeing things that, you know, from my perspective, I can't see. And if that seems to be a problem with people creating fake accounts or duplicate accounts, I want them to sort it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. And I'm glad that, you know, the first part of your blueprint is to protect yourself because I think we'll, I'll ask a little bit later in the podcast about how we got sued mm-hmm. and uh, maybe some ideas uh, around, you know, even like, when we get hit with like inauthentic uh, uh, claims, but let, let's let's jump through the blueprint. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it's 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 only just a few steps. That, yeah, it's that, only a few steps, and, and frankly, it only needs to be. You can create unnecessary complexity in your business. So, first step: protecting your personal assets. Second step: bulletproofing your brand. That means choosing a trademark that functions as a trademark and it's available. 
So many times private label sellers, they, they have this epiphany moment. They wake up in the middle of their night. They're like, I'm going to name my brand this because it matters to me. It means something or it's my grandmother's maiden name or whatever it is. So how do you choose a good trademark? You choose one that is coined, that is fanciful, that is invented. You basically make up a term. Right, you don't have to love your brand, and frankly, you shouldn't. It just needs to work, right? Let, let's let's get brand. real here. We we uh, registered a brand just about two three months ago. Uh-huh. Um, okay. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the name, and you tell me how good it is. Okay, so, all right. So, so Henley Place. Okay, Henley Place. All or right. maybe maybe there's an S on it. Henley's Place. Yeah, Henley's Place. Henley's Place. All right. So what I would say is Henley's a name. I don't naturally love names. I like literally invented coin terms. Ah. Uh, place. Okay, cool, good enough. Yeah. But together, above average. Um, okay. On the pure, like, does it function as a trademark? You're above average, right? You're not okay. outstanding, but you're above average. Is it available? I don't know. I'd have to go look. My guess is there's a lot of marks out there that incorporate Henley or Hen or Place. And so I would really, and that's kind of the second step, right? First of all, invented term, something that's completely made up. I'll literally go to a book, find a term that sounds interesting, you know, about six, eight letters long, and then start switching out consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, until I've created a word that doesn't mean anything. Interesting. That is going to be the cleanest way. So uh, just so the audience could like think of one or two that's like good, like just name a few good ones that you... Well, okay. well here we go. So let's take, your, let's take your Henley, right? So I'm going to take that H, I'm going to make it an S, I'm going to take that E, I'm going to make it an O... That N, I'm going to make a W. That L, I don't. Uh, I want to switch that to another consonant. I'm going to put that as an A. The E, I'm going to change the consonant. I'm going to make that a T. And the Y, I'm going to make a an I. Sawati. S O W A T I. Sawati. There we go. There we go. We we I fill it with meaning with my products. Completely made up. Who knows so, what Sawadi is, but you know what? You put it on some house slippers, you put it on a yoga mat, put it on a hammer. That's what it means. It's a brand, right? Functions wow. as a trademark. Completely coined, completely made up. It's invented, right? Doesn't mean anything. But then the second part of that process, really, really important. You've got to make sure it's available, right? If you've thought about it, more than likely somebody where, where, else. Where do you check if it's available? Well, you can do a couple of things, right? There's no substitute for a formal brand clearance. Like I have a tool that I subscribe to. It's AI driven. It goes out and pulls all these different repositories, gives me a report of all the linguistically similar marks, right? So you can hire an attorney to do it. But if you don't want to hire an attorney, you can still kind of, you know, bootstrap the thing. One, USPTO.gov, United States Patent and Trademark Office. They have a publicly available repository. You can go plug in your brand name and it will generate marks that already exist, that are already registered. Um, Amazon, if you're going to sell on Amazon, probably want to go plug your brand name into Amazon, see what pops. Oh, by the way, go check out GoDaddy or Google Domain, see if the domain is available. You know, if it is, that's, that's a good head nod towards that. It's probably a good brand name. Yep. And then, you know, uh, last things last, a good Google search. Like, see what pools when you pop in your brand name into Google. Between all of those things, it's not perfect. It does, it's no substitute for professional guidance, but... If you're looking on the USPTO.gov, you're checking out Amazon, you're checking out domain registers, you're checking out Google, and you're not finding anything, or you're not finding anything that's on related type products, you're probably okay. Interesting. All right. 
So, um, okay, now that you've got a good uh, trademark, what is uh, next? Oh, you're left. Mo this is where most sellers fall off, right? Because it's so publicized. Like, oh, okay, I know I'm going to need to form a business. I'm gonna, I need a brand name. I want brand registry. I want transparency. I want projects there. I want all the benefits of that. Weaponizing your works, your product photos, your retail packaging, your sales copy, the little booklets or brochures that you put in with your product, the infographic that you include along with the packaging, all of those are copyrightable works which deserve protection. Okay, so a couple things with copyright. Number one, just because you paid for it doesn't mean you own it. Copyright law is really different in that it, it really respects the right of authors. So unless you have an appropriate agreement in place with the person who took the photography, who designed the package, who created the logo, who made the infographic, you might own the JPEG, the PDF, the GIF that, that they deliver to you, but the author continues to own the, the copyright. So you've got to have what's called a work for hire agreement or a copyright assignment agreement in place to make sure that that copyright is transferred to you. Then secondly, once you've done that, I would recommend registering your copyright with the United States Copyright Office. One of the things that I've seen in the Amazon space is Brand Registry 2.0 has done a really nice job of tamping out hijacking and, and copycatting and, and, and uh, counterfeiting and the like. But what's happened is it's almost mutated it, right? So I've, I've had a number of clients that, you know, their listings are pretty clean. Like it's just them and them alone on the product detail page. But what's happened is you've got people that want to copy their stuff and they're literally just copying and pasting their product photos, their ad copy, and creating new listings. And they're doing it not only on Amazon, they're doing it on eBay, they're doing it on Etsy, they're doing it on Alibaba. You want a real eye-opening experience? Go plug your brand name into Alibaba and see what pops. I promise you, you're going to find your own product photos over there. And to me, that's almost more damaging than somebody hijacking the listing, just dripping away a sale or two. If you've got a manufacturer basically ringing the bell saying, hey, I can make this thing for you that seems to be selling really well. Look how awesome the product photos are. All of a sudden, I mean, you've got competition that's just going to the source. I want to snuff that out. And the way that you snuff that out is through a registered copyright. It's through leveraging what's called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Whereas, you know, sometimes you go back and forth with trademarks and brand registry, uh, you know, trying to get somebody removed from a listing. Copyright law and the digital millennium copyright in particular creates a very effective mechanism where if someone's copying your stuff, you can take them down. Okay. Well, let's go. see. So if I, um, this, this will hit different sellers. If I join a listing that is already created, someone else created it. Mm -hmm. And I'm offering it as a uh, for sale. Mm -hmm. Is um, am I violating copyright? No, because you're you, no. As long as you're, I mean those 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 photos, right? Those you don't have an option to upload those photos. Those photos are what's on the product detail page. The only threat, the only possible issue you run to, into is an Amazon centric issue. Amazon's terms of service say in order to list on a product detail page what you're selling has to match that product detail page 100%. So, you know, if they're selling a blue spatula, spatula you're selling has to be blue. If it's a, an XYZ, if it's a Sawati branded spatula, you've got to have a Sawati branded spatula. If it comes with a bonus item of a, you know, a basting brush, you've got to have the basting Interesting. brush. Interesting. So, that, that actually is a little bit of, uh, if, if you have the, an authentic product, mm -hmm. um, you you do have some rights. 
Yeah, you, absolutely. hundred percent. The, right, the right to sell that. Um, and that's actually a really contentious issue right now with all these um, IP violations that get thrown mm-hmm. around. Yeah. Um, and uh, so if someone gets, if someone's getting uh, hit by Amazon uh, mm-hmm. for an intellectual property complaint, like what should they be yeah. doing? Well, no, I, so it's a good, it's a good question, right? Because it happens a lot in the space. Now, I will tell you, per Amazon's terms of service, you were like, well, okay, if I've got some rights, if I'm selling, I can, I can list on the listing. That's okay. I would say not only is it okay, you're in violation of terms of service if you don't do that. Amazon doesn't want a million pages for Sawadee spatulas; they just want one. And so, if you're selling exactly what's on that product detail page, you've got a list on that on that product detail page. You shouldn't be going off creating another one because they don't want a catalog that's just gummed up with Swati spatulas, right? Um, so, so that's the first point. The second point is okay. You get a you get a complaint, right? I want to analyze. Well, who complained, right? Is this directly from Amazon or is it directly from the seller? Okay, if it's directly from the seller. Is it something that is it from the seller's law firm or is it from the seller themselves? Because that makes a difference, right? If it's from a law firm, that means that particular seller has invested money in you getting that complaint. That means there's some degree of seriousness. I want to know about the law firm. Is it a law firm that specializes in IP or is it just, you know, Jim Bob's law firm down the street that does wills and they do business stuff and they do, you know, workers comp and what? Okay, that's, that's a different flavor, Right. That tells me a lot. Like, is it is it if it's a communication from this uh, complaining seller, is it from the seller themselves or is it from the seller's law firm? And then if so, what type? That gives me a lot of insight, a lot of detail. Secondly, I want to look at what's being claimed. Right? We talk about intellectual property and we bounce it around. We're like, that's oh, an IP complaint. Well, that doesn't really mean anything. There are four types of IP, three of which are really specific to the Amazon space. Trademarks protect names, logos, and slogans. That's a very specific type of complaint. Patents could protect the utility of an item. It could protect the design of an item. That's a very specific type of complaint. You know, copyright protects original works of authorship that are fixed in a tangible medium expression. Product photos, packaging, sometimes the design of the product itself, a pool float that's in the shape of a slice of pizza, for example, as opposed to just, you know, a round pool float would be a copyrightable work. I, I want to understand what's, what's the nature of the complaint. And oftentimes, you know, if a seller's just complaining, you infringe my intellectual property and they're throwing in some copyright and throwing in some trademark and they're throwing in some patent, that to me tells me they're just complaining. They don't really have a basis at all. They're just, they're just grouchy and it tells me the degree of seriousness with which I need to take this. I would also say, whether it's from a law firm, whether it's from a seller themselves, it's a, a cease and desist letter, a complaint letter is just someone's opinion, right? Until it becomes a lawsuit, until it becomes, and even then it's just an opinion. Until you have a judicial decree, it's someone's opinion that you're infringing the trademark, you're infringing the copyright, or you're infringing the patent. And so you take it, that's why levels of seriousness in that, in that situation I think are important because that dictates how I'm going to respond or if I'm going to respond at all, right? Now, Putting that to the side, if you've got a complaint from Amazon, you know, you a salary and a working through the Amazon process, well, then you're going to have to navigate. You're going to have to figure out, and if it's a copyright issue, that's great, because then I have the opportunity to put in what's called a DMCA counter notice. I can basically say, listen, 
I'm not infringing copyright. I know I'm not infringing copyright because I took the photos myself or I have a proper license or I think it's fair use. And I've had that evaluated by someone that can actually speak to that. And I, in fact, am so confident that I yeah. invite this person to sue me in the next 14 days. And if they don't, Amazon, you can, I put my stuff back up. We've made, we, yeah, we've, we've made some counterclaims and it, it actually, you know, cleared our slate pretty quickly because yeah. we knew, we, we, we knew it was just someone throwing a miss, uh, sorry, like a, you know, just a dart at the dartboard seeing what sticks. Yeah, um, absolutely. And okay. So actually on your blueprint, I think we're, we're count up to three steps. Yep. <laughs> what, four, fourth the, step is safeguarding your sales. That is basically managing your business going forward. It is being in a position that if your account is suspended, you know how to respond. So education around, okay, I got a complaint. Is it from Amazon? Is it from a seller? Okay. If it's from the seller, is it from, you know, a, a law firm, a highfalutin law firm? Is it just, you know, Joe seller that, that matters. Um, hijacking, you know, dealing and you know, monitoring your listings, making sure that the only people that are on the listing should be going into those marketplaces. I'm telling you, it is pervasive on eBay, Etsy, Alibaba, just this copy and paste mentality. And a lot of times if people are kind of doing online retail arbitrage, you might be okay with that. And you might let those eBay people kind of sit there and just, you know, they're overcharging for for your item. And if they get a sale, they buy it from you. Okay, maybe that ultimately benefits you. You have to decide if you like that as, a, as part of your business. Uh, or maybe you're like, you know what? I, I'm fine with those people selling my products, but I paid a lot of money for those product photos and I don't want them to use them for free. I'm going to take those people down. Again, it's just so many people when they launch a business, an Amazon business in particular, they think it's just the set it, forget it sort of thing. Okay, I got the account. I got the trademark. Now I'm just adding products and I don't need to do anything else. That, that nothing could be further from the truth. If you're not always kind of managing and tending your business, making sure that the rights you've secured aren't being infringed upon, aren't being stepped on by other people, well, what are you doing? Business is war and people will, you know, it's death by a thousand razors out there sometimes. Yeah. Interesting. Um, that is, you know, you give a lot to think about and I'm sure everyone listening to this is actually at a different step in, in those processes. Mm -hmm. And so uh, should uh, apply to everyone. Now let's get real for a second. I um, our company was sued. Uh, how long ago? Eighteen months. And what happened is there was a trademark. Uh, the trademark was uh, stash it, just like the okay. just, just that term stash it. And um, we uh, this didn't go through Amazon. Like it was just a straight up lawsuit where anyone that had used those terms in any product that they had sold, mm -hmm. um, they were all collected together, 90 defendants in a lawsuit. Okay. And um, I mean, we got our way out of it, but like what happened was that Amazon held our funds. They, mm -hmm. they, they, they held our funds, um, yeah. which at that time was actually close to a million dollars. Yeah. And, uh, we had to we, we had to wait to the resolution of that lawsuit until we can actually get money. Uh, yeah, and, and they probably and honestly, Amazon probably didn't have a choice. Amazon was probably no. at that no. point where you know their hands were tied. Truly, yeah, no, the, the, it was is exactly that. It was it was a court order to to until it gets resolved that they do that. So, um, but we were just carrying a product pay that. Let me rephrase that. Did we actually sell it? Yeah, we did. We did have that product uh, on someone else's product page that they had created. 
And the distributor that we were selling on, um, that was the name of the product. Okay. Uh, like it had, it had the term stash it inside yeah. of the name of the product. Okay. So at what, were, what point were we at fault and, at what po- and, and maybe were we incorrectly targeted when someone else created the product page and someone else uh, titled the product? Yeah. So, so a, couple, a couple of things there, right? So unfortunately, there's, there's kind of a difference between being right and being practical when it comes to a lawsuit. I had a client, a very similar situation, not what you're referring to, but, but you know, kind of someone that had secured some rights in a particular a brand name or patent um, and, and just then went around and kind of shut down the marketplace, sued a good you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 you know, sellers um, and, and you know, to enforce the rights, right? And you know, my particular client, the circumstances under which they were operating, I mean, they weren't selling a counterfeit. They weren't selling something that was trying to be passed off as this branded thing. They weren't in violation of patent. They actually were pretty much in the clear. But the problem is for them to get to that resolution in a suit like that, I mean, it was literally going to be years before any of that ever came to a head, everything, any, any of that was ever reconciled. And so one of the discussions that we had very early on is, listen, do you want to play this out knowing that you're right, knowing that on the back end of this, you may be able to recover some legal fees or is it just, it's going to hurt, but is it better just to cut a check and settle this thing as quickly and efficiently as possible? I mean, that's, that's the reality of, of, of the yeah. law, unfortunately. Oh, that you was have, to, you have to weigh those considerations, uh, right? I mean, you I, just, like we, we had a, we had a million dollars just sitting there. So uh, settling was not a hard choice. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that, that's a very real, I think most people when they, if they haven't experienced that before, there's very much the, well, I'm, I'm in the right and I'm in the clear and everything's going to be fine. And, and it may well be, but oh, by the way, you're going to spend a lot of money proving that. And it's going to take a long bit of time. And so just be aware of that. And I'm not saying don't do that, but I mean, yeah. that's one of the, the calculations. If your business is war and there is risk in going to war. And so that, you know, having some exposure for that is, is certainly one of the things that, that you're going to have to be prepared for. But what I would say to you in particular, as you're working with wholesalers, as you're working with distributors, if you're not the original brand owner and someone's basically saying, hey, here's this product, it's branded with XYZ, go list it on this product detail page. If you don't have a proper in contract uh, contract in place with those folks, and I'm when by proper contract I'm saying that contract should have language around you represent and warrant that the product that you're selling me is not infringing, and if it is, here's the remedy. Oh, by the way, if this product is infringing, some third party comes out of the woodwork and sues me or threatens to sue me, you're going to indemnify me, defend me, and hold me harmless so that I can tag out of this thing, get my million dollars, whether it's from Amazon or you. Um, you're doing yourself a disservice. There's, there's a lot of informality of people just not wanting to do a proper contract. And I'm not talking about some 50 page contract. I'm talking about, you know, it could be, I mean, it could be a couple pages long, but you, you know, the, the fact that these people that you're buying product from have the right to give it to you, that it's not stolen goods, that the branding isn't stolen, that it's not infringing of anyone's patents or any, any things. You, you should have that in your deals. You really should. Because Absolutely. if you in that scenario where you're dragged into one of these class actions, you've at least got a piece of paper to hold up and point to somebody else to say, hey, you said you take care of me right here. Yep. So take care of me because I got a million dollars at Amazon sitting on and I'd really like that money. Interesting. Yeah, no, that uh, gives us uh, plenty to think about. 
Um, well, uh, I am so happy to have you on the show. Either we, we covered a lot of interesting things, and uh, I know the audience will find it uh, very valuable. If someone wanted to learn more, or uh, you know, uh, use your services, because there, there's clearly some things here that like people need help with. Uh, yeah. where, where they can get a hold of you. Sure. Yeah. You can check me out over on privatelabelprotection.com and the blueprint that we kind of walked through today, you can download for yourself, the brand protection blueprint to lay out those steps uh, for you. Uh, alternatively, if you know, maybe you just want to do something a little more community-based, head on over to Facebook. And I have the, the group's name is what it, it, it says. It is what it says on the tin, as it were. Uh, Legal Protection for Private Label Amazon Sellers. We've got a group of about 1,400 folks in there, all different stripes of sellers. Uh, I do weekly lunch and learns here recently. I've been doing a night court, 9 p.m. on Thursday evenings, where we talk about Amazon-centric legal things. Uh, we have a lot of fun. We do a little bit of uh, you know mindset stuff in there. So it's a nice blend of law and entrepreneurship. Uh, head on over to the Facebook group and check oh, me out there. That's good. No, I... Uh... I feel like, you know, this is something that people don't think enough about until it's too late. It's too late. So, uh, you know, this is definitely part of the educating yourself. So uh, thank you, Robert, for uh, talking. And um, if, you know, those that are listening, if you want to reach out to him, that you you know how to get a hold of him. So with that said, this is... If, you, if there's something here that you heard, uh, please share it with a friend and uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast. Um, thank you for all the listeners that have uh, actually reached out in the last two weeks. I've had a lot of uh, great feedback. And so keep that coming and, and I stay tuned next week for uh, more stuff. But, but actually, finally, uh, let me uh, thank Robert once again for, for coming to the podcast. So that was great to hear you talk. Happy to be here. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye. One, two, three. This episode has been produced by LaunchPod Media. 